Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A weekend off for MotoGP before gearing up for round three this weekend as we head to Argentina at the Autodromo Termas de Rio Hondo for the first time since 2019. The recording date is Monday, the 28th of March. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. Coming up, it's another case of Diplopia for Marc Marquez, but when will he be able to ride Next, news coming out from Malaysia as Sepang looks set to stay on the MotoGP calendar for another few years. Is there a rift developing between newly engaged, congrats, Jack Miller, and reigning champ Fabio Quartararo? And down in Moto3, it's more bad news for John McPhee, uh, plus everything else that we can possibly cover before this weekend in Argentina. Uh, But first, Keith. Mark Marquez, it wasn't confirmed the last time we spoke and the last podcast, but it has now been that uh, that huge high side he suffered in Indonesia has sort of sparked another case of diplopia. We're expecting an announcement this week about what that's going to entail, whether he's probably going to miss Argentina. Is it going to be any more rounds than that? And you said it last time, he can't afford to have any of these big hits. So a big opening question to you to start the show. Is it is it better for Marquez just to get out while he still can, cut and run? It's definitely better for him physically. There's no doubt about that. Mentally, it won't be better for him, obviously. Um, the clock is ticking, I think. I think we've all felt that for some time. Originally, when he didn't get hurt, when he used to crash a lot, we'd all say it's only a matter of time. Then he started to get hurt and we'd all say, you know, Eventually, he's going to have a massive one here and it's going to be career ending. Um, Nobody wants to see it. Nobody even really wants to discuss it, to be absolutely honest with you. But it's something that as journalists and as speculators, I suppose, of the sport, we've got to. You know, this injury that he's got at the moment, it's not like, if I may put it, like a mechanical injury where you've got a situation where you've got a broken arm or a pin or or whatever it might be that you can fix something mechanically. Um, An eye injury is, is, for me, being completely non-medical, it's a bit like a brain injury. It's something that you can't can't do anything about. It is what it is. And you've got to get over whatever the circumstances of it are. And worryingly, the more he has, the more this is going to compound his fragility. And every time he falls down and every time he recovers from this now, he is going to be subconsciously nervous of everything that he used to do like extending an arm, like making a move of any kind. This is going to have a compounding effect on his performance, on his mental well-being, and on where he ends up during the course of 2022. I, I just have to feel that the writing is on the wall from my point of view. You, you, you didn't push me too hard on whether I was going to make a, a comment like this, but I'm, I'm going to, Harry, anyway. Yeah, it's looking like Mark Marquez is at the end of a career that looked like he had a fair way to still to run, and only due to injury. He might be okay, but how many? we know his style is to crash. His style is to save the unsavable and the ones that are completely unsavable, even for him, turn into quite big crashes. And you cannot bang your head. How many times have I talked about it? How many times has it, has it been talked about that we are very concerned within MotoGP, in the industry? I'm very concerned that we don't do enough about head injuries, about concussion, 
about these kind of crashes. It's a very, very difficult subject to get the better of when the understanding behind it all is, is it's difficult to diagnose each individual correctly um, immediately. But I would think that it's fairly obvious in Marquez's case that he's had another massive bang on the head and it's caused the eye injury of whatever he's got wrong again this time around. How long can he keep doing it? Not much longer in my view. The numbers don't look good. If you just, you know, forgetting all the medical details, let's say, you know, the fact that it was 10 years between the first episode of this double vision and the second, and now it's only been five months between the second and the third, that in itself sort of illustrates the concern, doesn't it? And it, when, uh, when Mark came back, he, you know, he said that he'd spoken to his doctor when he came back at the Sepang test and said, look, what's the chances of this happening again? And, and the doctors were, were pretty clear with him. You know, it, it, it's the same chance in two weeks as it is in two years. Keith was, Keith was explaining, this isn't like a normal injury that we're used to hearing with bones and things like that. It's almost almost like a, a digital injury and in that it's either on or off, isn't it? it? It's almost like he's either got the double vision and then it, it, it comes, you know, he, he rests and it takes quite a long time, a few months last time, and he's okay again. And then suddenly it comes back and there's almost there's no in between it's either on or off and it must be so frustrating even just on a on, on a human level you know we can, we can all think of people that have been through a serious illness or let alone an injury and then they have a relapse and they have to go through it all again and Keith was mentioning the mental toll I mean he, you know Marquez put on Twitter didn't he that he's, he's going to try and smile but it's not easy and you can see you can imagine how he must be feeling just from that alone forget the fact he's a MotoGP star going through something and then having it all come back again in such a short amount of time, really, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible situation to be in for him, isn't it? Um, we know what the rough sort of timeline is that early this week, he's going to have another checkup over the winter. Mark moved from outside Barcelona. He's now based near Madrid. And it seems that he went there because uh, to be nearer the, the medical team that are looking after his shoulder. So, that, so he's now sort of, that's where he's based. But his eye doctor is the, is the eye doctor he's been dealing with since the, the 2011 Sepang Motor 2 accident. He's in Barcelona. So people might have been a bit confused as to why he went to see two different doctors in two different cities. Well, that's what's happening there. So this check this week will be in Barcelona. Now, we don't know if it's today, as we're speaking, Monday, or if it'll be Tuesday. But something will come out of that where a decision will be made, clearly, do you go to Argentina or not? It'll almost be more difficult if Marquez has woken up and, oh, my eye's okay. What do you do then? You know, as he's been saying, when you've had it come back after a couple of accidents, what do you do? I mean, he's probably fallen less than 10 times since he's come back from the injury at the end of last October. And it's happened again. So, you know, how do you play this? Will he go through the whole sequence of try a motocross bike first, then have a checkup? then have a track day at high speed, then another checkup, and then come back. Well, if you're doing all that, as he, as he did previously before Sepang, that's going to drag things out, isn't it? That's, gonna, that's, that's a long time. So, yeah, I, I think this, this checkup this week is, is going to be a big, a big one as far as what happens with Mark this season. And the checkup needs to be one that is supervised by somebody from the FIM, from Dorna, from Erta. I mean, it's something where it has to be very... Sp- you can't ride... 200 mile an hour motorcycle in amongst other 200 mile an hour motorcycles if this is going to be something that might be you know that might trip him up in that situation it's just horrendous you can't take someone else out with a slightly dodgy eye um it's it's something that needs overseeing it needs something that, that that needs a little bit of um thought behind before he makes that comeback i'm sure i'm sure mark won't make a comeback if he's not 100 percent. but the temptation is always there you know, what, what, at what point, <laughs> again, if I go back to the mechanical injury, mechanical injury, you could be going through a whole load of pain, not have the movement you should have, not have the muscle strength you should have, and yet you're still allowed to ride because you overcome that situation. But if you've got concussion or a, a brain injury or an eye injury, that is something that is much more difficult to perhaps legislate for, for in the way that Erta, the FIM Dorna, should or have to do. Because, you know, who who says his eyes fixed? You know, riders being riders will ride if they get given an opportunity, um, particularly if they think they can get around whatever the slight problem they've got is. Um, so the, this is going to throw up several questions as, as these next week or two progress, I think, with Mark. Uh, who's checking on the checkers? Who's checking on the guy who says, yeah, we think he's OK? What tests are there for this? I mean, 
you know, I feel like we're in a bit of a grey area here. I don't really feel like I know enough about the injury that he's had. Although, you know, like everyone else, I've been reading up on it, but it kind of still leaves me with thinking, well, blimey, that that, that could happen at any time. Like you said, Pete, it, it, it's something that could come back in a in a in a heartbeat. And and if that's the case, you know, chucking a two hundred mile an hour motorbike around in front of a whole lot of other two hundred mile an hour motorbikes is um a bit less than desirable, maybe. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, crunch time, isn't it? And, and, a, and a scary time and, and a rough time for Mark Marquez to be going through. Um, well, as we, as Pete says, we're awaiting news for what the uh, what the news will be uh, when it comes to whether Mark will race this weekend. I can think I can say it's, well, well, who knows? But it's unlikely based on previous things, but never say never. But uh, keep across crash.net for all the latest on that uh, as and when it happens. Um, now, Indonesia was the last race. We will look ahead to Argentina in a bit, but there's a few more stories that have sort of developed since Indonesia, including Pete, uh, one of our rookies, uh, Remy Gardner, um, usually pretty good in the wet. He's got good historic results in the wet from his Moto2 days as well, but a, a helmet full of water in the end didn't make his Indonesian Grand Prix too comfortable either. And it's a bizarre story, this, isn't it? Yeah, in fairness, he wasn't the only one. Polo Spargo, it seems, also might have had a helmet issue of some kind. It, 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 uh, I mean, there was a lot of spray at the start, as we saw at the start of the race. Now, Keith can explain exactly what, what the riders would normally do to prepare for a wet race, but it seems like the water basically somehow got inside the helmet. So that, that's these are, this is more from Hervé Poncherel than from, from Remy himself. Remy did speak sort of of a a bit of a visibility issue, but we weren't exactly sure on the details of it. But Hervé Pancherel clearly felt that it really held Remy back. And you could see from his lap times, when he dropped to the back of the field by mid-distance. And then once he was away from the spray of the other bikes, he was setting quick times. I mean, he, I think it was the 14th best lap of the race. So he had the speed when he, when he could see. So I think a lot of frustration there as to, uh, you know, a potential good result gone missing. Sometimes you have to go old school when it comes to this stuff. Helmet misting or water inside the helmet. Airflow is what it's all about. And at the end of the day, you don't get a lot of time for wet testing. There's not been a lot of wet testing. There's not been, a, particularly in groups of people, you don't get that opportunity. So when you've got a, a kind of vacuum behind the, the windscreen, if you want to call it that, you know how that wind interacts with other bikes around you and so on and so forth, what's coming up underneath the, the fairing, around the fairing and blowing up underneath your chin, massive differences you might be blowing a bit harder as well you're breathing a bit harder in a race situation than you are maybe in a test situation everything is different um, and it's usually in these situations where it's thrown up i mean you know in 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 the olden days there'd be all sorts of stuff going on like you'd have duct tape over your nose and squidging out under the helmet to make sure your breath went downhill instead of mixing up with with whatever you'd put on the, the inside of the visor to make it clear uh, anybody who wears <laughs> A good example, maybe anybody who wears glasses and then has to pop a mask on to go into the supermarket or something. The first thing that happens is it blows all steam under your glasses because you haven't prepped your glasses properly. I'm not saying for a second Remy didn't prep properly. I'm bloody sure he did. But the point being is, is that you change the circumstances slightly and all of a sudden it's a I can't see anything um, situation and, and water inside the helmet. Sounds to me like he had, you know, airflow over the bike. And the, the, the excess of, of spray that was coming off of everything in front of him was so great that it was getting up inside his helmet. It's a pretty rare thing um, and not easy to overcome, even for the future. Having experienced what he's experienced, he will have an idea about what he's going to do about it next time. The helmet manufacturer would get involved. All helmet manufacturers will be looking at Remy's circumstances for sure, because nobody wants that and certainly don't want it as far as their manufacturer is concerned. But... He won't probably ever have it again. It might be the circumstances might just be that it is what it was at the time and where he was in the field and the, the airflow over the top of that particular motorcycle or whatever it might have been that gave him that problem. Um, but you can be sure they'll they'll come up with something for next time around. That's for certain. Next time it's raining. Yeah, I can just imagine him sitting <laughs> sitting on his road bike while someone's firing a hose at him. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> joking apart, he won't be doing that at all. But uh, it, it's it's still. I mean, it's really annoying for Remy because his season hasn't started where he needed it to start. First the wrist, now this. These little setbacks for him. You know, a bit of a disaster for, for his year so but far. But the only, the only rookie at the moment with a point to his name, I think. I'm just looking at the Darren standings. Binder. Who? Darren Binder. Oh, Darren Binder. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah. no, they're not the in only the one. dry though, Harry. You're right there. The only one with a point in the dry. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, say. nice save. Yeah. Thank oh, you. That- I love, I love that, Pete. You're a kind <laughs> man. You I was like, I was. I just I thought, oh, the I've, I've done them there. There we go. No, I haven't done that one yet. Yeah, forgot about Darren. Good ride for Darren last time out. <laughs> Edit point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but Gardner ahead of Peko Banyaya in the standings at the moment. So uh, there you go. Um, also, uh, Banyaya actually, we might worth talking about in a minute but there was a, a bit of a um i don't know if this is the right word a, a fracas perhaps between uh jack miller and uh and fabio quattararo i don't think there was any actual physical involvement there but uh it seems pete uh a move in indonesia last time out has really riled them both up and and fabio is hit back at some jack miller criticism of him early race contact it, it seems to have been can you just sort of Explain a bit about what's gone on here, because it seems a bit unlikely these two sort of coming for each other like this. Well, yeah, it wasn't that obvious to us watching on TV, was it? But at the end of the race, it seems Jack was quite visibly unhappy with with Fabio. And then it sort of transpired that earlier in the race at turn one, I think um, Jack had passed Quattararo on the inside, I think, and then sort of drifted wide a bit and and Quattararo sort of squared under him and then their lines had crossed on the exit. Now, it's at that point that, that <laughs> there's a bit of a disagreement. Now, now Jack Miller believed that, that Quattararo sort of rode into his leg, basically, was what he said, um, and didn't need to be that aggressive, certainly not at that point of the race and things like that. He also felt that Quattararo made a similar move with, with Zarco when Zarco passed him. Uh, now, Fabio, as, as you would have seen, felt very differently about it and, and said that he did nothing wrong. And it was just uh, he, he invited uh, other riders to give their opinion, actually, because he was interested to know, because as far as he was concerned, it was a fair enough move. And, you know, one rider goes by and you, you try and fight back. So, yeah, that, that was all that was about, really. That sounds like the the equivalent of Twitter, Twitter, Twitter trolling to me, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get everyone else on your side when you've got an opinion about something. I'm not sure I agree with that from Quattararo's point of view. Jack, you know, he's fairly tough and he's made some fairly tough moves. Quattararo, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about last time out. Um, you know, in Indonesia, I think I said something along the lines of Zarko just didn't, for whatever reason, whether it was him physically or whether it was the bike wasn't able to, he didn't make the moves he should have made to move himself forward. He just didn't look capable of making those moves. Quattararo did. So he was in that kind of mood all the way through the, the race. And if Jack, Jack might also have been a little bit frustrated from the point of view that it's the kind of race conditions he would have expected him to have done really well at on the Ducati with his performance. And, and that sort of leads us in a bit to Argentina. If you remember what he did to grab his pole there the last time we were out there in 2019 or whenever it was. Um, it was a fantastic lap. So Jack has got a bit of a reputation for being able to make those kind of slightly adverse conditions work for him. And they didn't. He finished fourth off the podium. Quattararo went forward at the end of the race as well. So it would have been like rubbing salt in the wounds. But, you know, rubbing his racing a little bit. There's no way that I would disrespect Jack's view. He obviously felt strongly enough to, to mention it. And Quattararo came back at him. Yeah, with what he had to say, really, it sounds a bit like handbags to me, to be frank with you. Let's get on with Argentina. Absolutely. Well, I think a congratulations as well to Jack Miller, who recently got engaged over the weekend, I think it was, on social media. So uh, clearly he's not letting the argument uh, get on his mind too much. He's carrying on with his life. So uh, good on you, Jack. Um, Big news, I suppose, is uh, coming out as well that we need to touch on. Um, And... The argument has been rolling on for Grand Prix after Grand Prix, front ride height devices. Uh, and Pete, well, we've got news officially banned from the start of next year. Um, but you're, you, you've been trying to find out some things, but people don't really want to talk about it, do they? <laughs> no, it seems that they don't. We've, we've got, it's a bit like with the decisions you get from race direction sometimes, or the FIM stewards, I should say, where you get the verdict, but not the explanation for it. And that's kind of where we're at. With this, we know the verdict. We know that the front ride height systems only, not the rear, and not whole shot devices, which they which they sort of define as single use, meaning the start of the race. So they'll, they'll all be fine. So this is only the front ride height system, which, as far as we know, only Ducati have available at the moment. So that's banned from the start of next year. It seems like that there was two alternative proposals were given, and they were sort of asked to pick between them. Now we don't know what those proposals were, but this is the one that was chosen. So. 
there we are. It, it says unanimous agreement, but then that doesn't actually mean that there was unanimous agreement within the manufacturers. It means there was unanimous agreement within the Grand Prix Commission. So just, yeah, as Keith Stoddy said, it's a very different thing. So I think some people saw unanimous and thought, oh, everyone's happy. Probably not. <laughs> now, the Grand Prix Commission have actually got some teeth. It seems like they've actually shown their teeth on this one, haven't they? And there'll be a lot of people that kind of say, well, hang on a second. This is prototype racing. We should be able to have this. If it's within the rules, we should be able to have it. I don't agree to, to, to some extent. I mean, I think that the shapeshifter at the front, the, the ride height thing at the front, was, was just a step too far. It was something that we would never see on road bikes. It's not something that will be of any benefit for the road or anywhere else, really, as a development. And the case scenario really is that it's just given an opportunity for those bikes to be even faster you know, down that straight into that next corner, making runoffs that little bit more dangerous from the fact that, that you, you know, we're not increasing runoffs at the same pace as we're increasing the performance of the bikes into and out of corners. That eventually is going to have a, it's going to have a crossover on the old graph, isn't it? The, the tracks that have always been deemed safe for so many years are suddenly going to become slightly unsafe. And it's something that, that you know, FIM Dorna Erta have always been really, really behind. The, the safety of the MotoGP series is above all other series in the world. It is the safest track series that there is. Um, and again, that lines itself up with the prototype thing. This is, you know, these are the very best motorcycles, the fastest motorcycles, the most technologically advanced motorcycles. So taking a, taking a decision like this goes against the grain a bit with some because it's a development it's a prototype development that enhances a motorcycle to get the best out of it. But it's one that, that in my view, and I think I've made that clear in previous podcasts, that I think was a step too far. I think that we needed to, to, to clamp down on it. And I'm amazed that the Grand Prix Commission have. Um, you're right, Ducati will be livid because they can't ban something in the same year, unless for, for a safety reason. Um, they can't ban something in the same year straight away. They have to wait until the next year. So all the money that Ducati have spent will only be of an advantage, if it is an advantage, in 2022. Um, you know, if, if they hadn't banned it, everybody else could have caught up, obviously, next year. But the money you need to spend on something like this is huge for the teams as well. So there's a, a financial issue and a safety issue for banning it. And personally, I think they've done the right thing. I just wonder if it's does it does it go far enough, though, in terms of, of this top speed issue, which you've described absolutely perfectly there, Keith. I mean, a front hole shot device you're talking a couple of k maybe when they get it working i mean you hit you hit a barrier at the end of a straight you know at 250 or 254 i don't know it comes back to this question of what's the fairest way to slow the bikes down isn't it and, and i think this is for me this is fiddling around the edges a bit I, i'm not saying it's it's not worth doing but i think bigger decisions need to be taken down the line um to really maybe not two seconds off the lap times or something like that and are we going to need a rev limit one day? It, it always keeps coming back, isn't it? How do you slow the bikes down, you know, with the fairest possible way? Because I, I think, you know, this, don't, as you say... Don't you think that might be coming? Don't you think that might be coming, though, Pete, with um, fuels? I mean, I, I have the feeling that, you know, we, we, I don't think there's a lot of traction in the paddock for electric bikes and hybrid bikes and stuff like that as there are in the car world. I get the feeling that, that we are going to be working towards um, different organic fuels, which are going to be kinder to the environment, which are going to have less performance, not possibly because of the, of the, the way they ignite, but the way that they, it, it deg the degradation within engine parts by using these things. You can't use the same kind of compression ratios. You can't use, you know, there's lots of different setup things that you've got to do to run these more organic fuels, which are going to bring that, 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 perhaps lower speeds that we're looking for. And I think somewhere in the back of the minds of the brainy ones that, 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 uh, that are in the paddock, that they'll be working towards that is what I feel. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point, Keith. I mean, that would work out perfectly, wouldn't it, if they can tick both boxes at the same time like that. I think the only concern with this fuel is that it's so far away, isn't it? I think, I think some people would like to see this being introduced a little bit sooner because it seems like a great idea. You're right, and that's a good point, Pete, because... This won't take next year to work its way through. They're going to have to work the regulations out and work out exactly what they're going to do to give the engineers enough time to, to cope with these changes. And that could be, like you say, quite a long way down the road. It ain't going to be one year down the road. It's probably going to be three or four. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> 
So we might be going too fast for two or three years before we all start coming back to reality. Well, we'll see how it all unfolds, shall we? Uh, what's going to be happening in the future too is uh, Sepang, Malaysia. That has uh, been confirmed uh, with a contract extension, uh, Pete, which looks like it's going to go until at least 2024 but with options to go even further than that. I'm a big fan of Malaysia, obviously coming from the four-wheeled side of things. I think it's a shame that Formula One don't race there anymore, but brilliant to see MotoGP will continue there in, in Sepang. Oh. Well, that'll be the reason. That's the exact reason why they're fighting for MotoGP, because well, they haven't got Formula One. They dumped Formula One on their head and, and decided to let it go, and they went down the bikes road. Don't forget, CEO of, of, of Sepang was Razan Razali, originally. Now the owner of, or the, 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 the management, top of management team for... The uh, Yamaha satellite team, you know, I thought Sepang were incredibly brave a couple of years ago when they dumped F1. Was it that way around? Yeah, I thought they were incredibly brave. Was it that way around? I think at the end of the day, if you can't come to an agreement, somebody had to decide that, you know, we weren't going there. And I think that if, if, if Formula One dumped Sepang it was because Sepang wasn't prepared to, to dance to the tune that Formula One gave them. So I think effectively, even if one fired, a bit like a divorce, really, it doesn't matter who's, who's actually pulled the trigger, does it? You know, it's, it's come to an end because someone's decided not to, to, to act in a way that uh, the other person wants. So, I mean, I, n- I never find any blame in a divorce. I might do around here if I ever have to. What about the children, anyway. Keith? Think of the children. Um, but... What about the children? <laughs> but, uh, so you're very happy then, obviously, Sepang continues on the MotoGP calendar. Oh, uh, Sepang's a fantastic venue. It's a gr- Malaysia is a fantastic country. You know, it's, it's a great place to go to. What's not, hang on a second, what's not to like? The airport is 15 minutes away. <laughs> it's not on race day, of course. It's bloody hard work to get to because it's a nightmare getting backwards and forwards. But the, the, the main... Kuala Lumpur International Airway, KLIA or whatever it is, is round the corner, literally round the corner. When you fly in, you're looking down over the track and all them horrible palm trees that they've ripped all the good stuff up and murdered the gorillas for the for the palm oil. But anyway, we won't go That's there. A That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a different one, yeah. But I, I think Sepang International Raceway is just a great place. Fast corners. Uphill, down Dale as well. There's a couple of corners that were made for F1, but they work for bikes as well. The final corner, which Dromo bloody, I won't say ruined because they had to do it because they couldn't get the drainage on the inside of the track. So instead of having the the, the normal angle that you get, they tipped it the other way. <laughs> so the 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 apex of the corner is the high bit, and, and the water runs away to the outside of the track, um, so that we didn't have a lake there every mm. time it rained. Um, and, and I remember what's his name, Zeffelli, the, uh, the 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 Italian that runs Dromo, said that what he'd worked out was that, that you could run a wider line around the the lesser um, adverse camber than you could on the inside. But he was talking cars, I think, not bikes. Well, the, the other interesting thing about that corner, though, going back to our previous discussion, they, they also made it like that to take the top speed down, wasn't it? They realised they couldn't extend the runoff at turn one, and so they killed the corner speed. And, and that was how that was another reason for making that the sort of strange off camber there, and it, and, it, and it has worked. I think if you look at the top speeds, they did drop from that. Weird though. I, I believe they also <laughs> but, but... have the ability to make it a night race uh, in Sepang these days with uh, with lights all around. I think I've seen pictures of it previously. I think they might mm. do a night race in, in sports cars. I think that it looks epic under the lights. I think it would be quite nice. If it's a, it's a, a busy track. Yeah, it's a busy track. Even in the, yeah. you see uh, group cycling and things like that. They they keep that. There's, there's track days. There's non motorsport mm. days. They they keep things going on there all the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a great venue and and really an important venue worldwide as well. I mean, like you're not far away from Kuala Lumpur City. Like I say, the international airport just around the corner. It's got everything you want on its doorstep. It's got you know hotels, golf courses if that's what your your part time effort is. You know, it's got what you need. Highly recommended. The, the big question, I guess, is for all of these these races. I mean, Sepang was another one that was sold out on race day, wasn't it? Pre COVID, uh, you know, we were talking about the fan numbers at. at Mandalika in Indonesia, 60,000. We don't know what uh, Borivram, Thailand. We're all waiting for these big crowds to come back, aren't we? And, and when this announcement came out about the contract extension, you know, they're making clear they're trying to you know, welcome back and restart motorsport. And I think there will be a, a few, you know, this is the post-Rossi era as well. There, there will be a few fingers crossed about how many people are they going to get through the gates here, I think. 
I think Mandalika made a mistake. I think their prices were too high and they're too far away at the moment. And there's not enough infrastructure still at trackside as far as hotels and the like are concerned. And the hotel prices were crazy for Mandalika as well. So they've got that that transition period to go through to get that right. I think Sepang got that right. I think their their ticket prices are quite good. Thailand went a bit high in the first place, but um, you know I think numbers are up. You know Thailand really. Thailand suffers from a governmental problem in that they can't make their bloody mind up what they want to do and when they want to do it. That's the problem. Nobody knows whether you're an airline or anybody trying to make plans going into Thailand, what the situation is going to be every time you fly in there. Are you going to have to do a, a one day and a five day test? Are you going to be allowed to do a, a, a PCR test or is it going to be a, a, a quick antigen test? You know, there's so many things in Thailand at the moment. You know, you live there, Pete. I know people that live there. We've got family that live out there. It's an absolute nightmare. We don't know what's going on, and we've got we're really well linked in with the place. So how can you expect people to be flying internationally into places like that? It's just a nightmare. The government really should sort themselves out and and, and take a longer term view of these these things. I was just going to say, yeah, I'm back in the UK this week, Keith. But yeah. He's back. <laughs> When are you back in the UK? Uh, I, I'm flying tomorrow. Oh my God, that's big news. Yay! There we are. I, I that's did, the biggest I did, news on this podcast. I did tell you guys and you obviously don't listen. So no, we knew you were sort of thinking about it, but you didn't give us a day. So how oh, long okay. have you actually been based in Udon Thani? Uh, I've been based since uh, since COVID began, since since the cancelled 2020 Thai wow. Grand Prix. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, and then it was a case of waiting. Vaccinations took a long time to happen over here, I should say. So it was a case I, I have asthma and things like that. So, so, All I can say, Pete, is you must only go out at night because you ain't got a tan. <laughs> 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 oh. I'm not a sunbather, Keith. And there's no beaches around here, as I've discovered. So, yeah. Well, there's a lovely lake in the middle of Udon Thani that you can lay out and then there's a jogging track around the lake. You don't do any of that. Only at night for Pete. Only at night. <laughs> he haunts the Udon Thani lake. Well, I think that is the biggest news. Look look for the article on Crash.net soon. Pete McLaren's return to the United Kingdom. Um, and as much as excellent news as that is, um, well, let's look ahead uh, to Argentina. So that will be hopefully, what's the time difference? That'll be all right for you now, Pete, won't it? Back in the UK covering that. So um, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, uh, was it UK, European time? It's sort of a Sunday yeah, evening. Yeah, but a nice Sunday, like a dinner time almost. But um, yeah. lots of uh, things to look forward to uh, in Argentina. Of course, a return for the first time since COVID. So Pete's returning, Argentina's returning. There you go. <laughs> um, but somebody who won't be there, well, still no news on Mark Marquez just yet, but somebody else who won't be there, Keith, down in Moto3. We discussed this a few podcasts ago. John McPhee set to miss uh, Argentina, hoping to come back for Texas. He's just not ready yet. He's um, dripping the news out, isn't he? I mean, I said last podcast, he got a bit annoyed with me because I I fired it out on Twitter as soon as I had the the lists and everything for the weekend and that his team had already um, decided they weren't going to replace him when he first uh, announced it. Or rather, he didn't, but everyone else did. And he seems to be reluctant to to, to let that process go through, um, which means that the prognosis obviously is slightly tougher than he originally thought. Um, he's desperate to get back. This will be his last year in Moto3. And if he doesn't have a good year, it might be his last year in GPs. That won't be lost on him. I'm sure of that. You know, he needs a really stonking, you know, it's not over yet. We've got a long season still ahead, but really... McPhee needs to go out with race wins this year to show his performance, to show what he's capable of and move up to Moto2. He's got no other options. He can't stay in Moto3 for another year. He's 28. Um, that's the cutoff now for um, the start of a new season. If you're 28 at the beginning of the season, you, you're no longer in Moto3. You can be 28 halfway through the season, but uh, that is the cutoff. And quite rightly too, I must say. Um He's, he must be going through hell at the moment, John McPhee. I, I, I feel desperately sorry for the bloke. You know, it's one of those situations where he's a quality rider, one of Britain's best riders in Grand Prix. And yet, he's in this terrible situation where he's still young. <laughs> you know, he's, he's sub 30, so he's still young as far as I'm concerned. He's still got. Hang on, you were saying 22 was old but last week. Such... <laughs> he was what? Yeah, well, I mean, I think. I think 
I'm comparing with British guys and I'm comparing with the new rules that says that you have to be 18 <laughs> upwards. So I've made an excuse there. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, it, it, I suppose, yeah, you're right, Harry. It, I mean, like, yeah, 22, if you've got tons of experience and you've been through the Junior World Championships and the rest of it, you are you can be a veteran at 22 in this game now. That's a fact because you're in it from 16. Um, you're in it from younger than that if you're if you're in the Junior World Championships. Um, you have to be 16 to be in the in the uh, Grand Prix World Championships, unless you've won the Junior World Championships or the Red Bull Rookies, and I think you're allowed to be 15 then you can move up into Grand Prix. But all the same, McPhee, I think what I'm trying to put across is McPhee is still a quality rider. It isn't, it isn't finished for him, but you feel that other people have made their mind up a bit that it is finished for him. Um, and with the logjam of, of youngsters that are behind him, there's so many good kids that are coming through at the moment. Do you... Unless McPhee has money to take to a team, and we've seen this before, where's he going to go? Maybe he'll end up in Supersport, World Supersport or something. Um, that's going to be a tough ask as well. You know, he's going to be moving up to uh, the the World Superbike equivalent of the middle like, middle bikes, which is the Supersport class. Um, I don't know. Really, really awful. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, all he's got to do is focus on what he's got to do. Get fit, focus, go and win some races this year and and hope that the opportunity arises at the end of 2022. Yeah, well, we'll uh, all be uh, keeping our fingers crossed as well uh, for him and all the riders as they make their return to Argentina. So now seems, Keith, like a good time to do your insider's guide to Argentina. And it's been a while. What's it like? I've never been. Many people that haven't watched it, obviously, in a couple of years. Tell us all about what we might expect this weekend. Well, if you're a vegetarian, don't go. <laughs> I have never seen so much meat on offer in my entire life. If it's, I, I mean, I came back the first time I went there and I went out in the garden and started munching on the grass because I hadn't had anything green down my neck for so long. It is a meat-eater's a paradise. Steak. <laughs> it, oh, steak everywhere, everywhere. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. And if you fancy a snack before you go to your bed, you get a T-bone. It's incredible um, from that point of view. I love that. Termas de Riondo is a long way north of Buenos Aires. You fly into Buenos Aires. It's the longest flight that you do. It used to be the longest flight I think an aeroplane could do once upon a time. Like I think it took us 15 hours to land uh, on a BA flight. They have that contingency, obviously, fuel-wise, and we'd gone round because there's always fog at Buenos Aires, believe it or not, early in the morning. So you end up flying round and round and round and round for an hour before you can land, before, or, or they'll take you to an alternate runway. Um, luckily, our BA guys were fairly well on it and they'd filled the thing so we could go around, so we could land at Buenos Aires. Um, but it's a long flight, but, mate, it's worth it. Buenos Aires is a great city anyway. Um, strangely, you feel, as a Brit, you feel slightly alien. This obviously doesn't work for our um, uh, more international viewers, but from a, a British perspective, because of the Falklands War, the Malvinas War, whatever side of the flag you flop on, um, it was a politically a, a, a devastating time for Buenos Aires generally. And there's still a massive great memorial and a museum in the middle of, of Buenos Aires, basically stating the case as to, to why it's Malvinas, not Falkland Islands, and so on and so forth. I ain't even going there regarding anything to do with that. But my point being is that at first I felt like this might be an uncomfortable situation, you know, being a Brit in Buenos Aires, being that it still feels quite... That, that subject is still very alive there. Never was I treated better. Never were we treated better uh, than we were in Argentina. Really, really nice people. You know, whatever the underlying political situation there is, never treat. I, I remember that the first time I went, we had a you know a, our national anthem up on the podium. No booze, no squeaking, no nothing. Just respect for sport, and I really enjoyed that. Termas is, like I say, quite a quite a way north. You wouldn't want to drive it, that's for sure. The roads are pretty horrible, and there are bandits around still as well. Um, but you fly up there. Um, it's a bit like going to a 1980s Grand Prix with with you know new motorbikes around it. The the the, the, the town, the city of Termas, is unbelievable. It's a riot. You've never had. You can try sleeping, forget it. You know, like the place is alive. You know, policemen with every kind of weapon that you've got hanging on your belt. You look like something out of village people with machine guns and machetes and God knows what. They're, you don't argue with the police there, that is for sure. But no trouble did I ever see. Great time was had by all of us, a big, big crowd of us obviously out there. 
Um, and then the track itself, great track. I really like the, the Termas track. Again, it's another one that that uh, Zeffeli of, of Dromo sorted out um, and, and made good. This guy got a bloody name for himself. Remember, he was the one who sorted out Silverstone after the debacle of the wrong surface. He came out and sorted that out for, for Silverstone as well. So this guy, you know, we hear, we hear about Tilker all the time because he's the one that gets the big money off Formula One. But Dromo is the guy that goes and sorts everything out um, for us, us bike persons. I'm sure he does it for cars as well, but it's the bike guys that we, we tend to talk about a lot more. He's really made a great racetrack out of it, really made it work. We talked about Jack Miller a bit earlier on. Well, it was a, it was also the track with that threw turmoil into to Jack putting that fantastically, ridiculously out of control pole lap on difficult conditions. Again, that's why I said what I said a little bit earlier. Jack might have been thinking that he might have been able to do a bit more with Indonesia than he did because of the different conditions. Well, we've seen the proof of that, and the proof of it's been at Argentina when he stuck that lap in, and then the whole the whole bloody grid were penalised for for doing what they did. And they restarted the race with with Jack like at the front of the grid and everyone else off the back row. <laughs> Took them ages to space them all out properly at the back. Um, and that iconic picture of Jack so far in front of everyone else um, as the race started it didn't work out for him in the end in, in race win terms. But uh, Argentina, um, they've had a big burn up as well. Quite literally, the whole pit complex burnt down um, last year, I think it was. So that's all had to be rebuilt. Um, which is probably a good thing because the press roof, the press office is on the top floor and that leaked water every time it rained all the way through on all the desks in the press office. It was, a, it's, it's basically, it looks a bit, um, I don't know what it looks like. It looks like they've got a lot of parts cheap from somewhere around the world. Like the doors on the garages are like these massive great roller shutters that don't quite work, that look like they're forgetting double-decker buses under. They're so tall, you know, it's not really made for a, for a, for a motorbike or a race car pit. It looks like they got all this stuff somewhere in a jumble sale and um, built it into into this. Um, and the first time we went there, they were still welding the steps up to it as well. In fact, to a point, and I'm not cowardly, I looked at the steps and the way they welded them and I thought, that don't look like good engineering. I'll go the other way. Because <laughs> there were hundreds of people on these steps with just a few little struts that had only just been welded, just you know, and a bit of red oxide paint over the welds to try and keep it so it didn't go rusty and fall down. So it is. It's not. It's not Silverstone. Let's put it that way. But great atmosphere, great racetrack, great racing. The final part, the final corner. They've got so many corners on it that are iconic for me. But the final, that final run into that final kind of chicane that isn't a chicane, but one where you can really ram it up the inside. Brilliant end of end of lap opportunity every time. You go wide and take the proper line through it. Someone's going to be under. You go tight and take the tight line through it, someone's going to be over you by the time you get to the line, which is just a short distance out from the final corner. Great racetrack. Great, and again, great country. Highly recommended. I know I sound like an old broken gramophone when it comes to racetracks, but it's another one grab I like. Grab a ticket, grab a steak, and you're all good to enjoy some MotoGP action. Pete, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Anything you want to highlight that you uh, got your eye on? Uh, well, I want to go to Termas now after yeah. Keith's done that job of selling it to us. I, I think actually it's the only one out, apart from the two new events this year, it's the only one that I haven't been to. So I was I was listening and enjoying Keith's description there. And I, I know friends that, that have been as well in the past and they, they say similar things. I mean, incredible place, incredible stakes. And uh, yeah, it, you know, the World Championship should have a variety of places, shouldn't it? Not just the countries, but also the character of the circuits and the events. And I think Termas by the signs of it certainly ticks that box. It's not gonna it's not just another event added to the calendar, is it? I think there's there's certainly enough unique features about it. And um yeah, as Keith was saying, it usually produces the track. Zafeli designed it also with overtaking in mind. We usually get some decent action in the races. The end of the lap is actually quite similar to Mandalika, isn't it? That sort of breaking on an angle bit so we've got sort of a bit of a flashback to two weeks ago with that but um yeah we haven't been there for two years tires obviously big talking point last time this new current gen generation of michelin rear tire construction has never been used at termas because it, it came in in 2020 so we haven't had a chance to use that yet so that's another thing to just you know just to add to the mix obviously they have plenty of experience with that tire at other tracks so it's not quite the same as at mandalika but still it's never been used at that track it's usually a dirty track, isn't it? Quite dusty. It takes quite a lot of time to clean up. So it's another one, like all these four flyaways at the start of the year, it's another one that's really, really hard to call. And uh, yeah, it's going to be 
and, and the weather again. We've had some wet sessions there, haven't we, in the past? I don't think we've had a wet race, have we? But um, we've certainly had some uh, the odd drop of rain. So yeah, I think and I think humidity, Keith. I think there's a big lake nearby, and and uh, I do you know what you just linked. <laughs> you read my mind, Pete. That's pretty impressive from six and a half thousand miles away. <laughs> There is a massive lake there. I mean, from the the BT Sport team, obviously Susie Perry doesn't go to this one because she got dengue fever some time ago, and dengue fever, double dengue fever, is is not good for your health. So she, this is why you won't see Susie Perry on the the BT squad this weekend. Um, and it is a massive lake, and you have never seen so many bugs. If you do go, you will need to take some cream with you um, to keep the the beggars away because there's it is it is on a lake. In fact. Part of the roadway that leads to it is when the lake has drained away like it has, it, they, they allow you to drive through the lake bed effectively to, to bypass the front of the track. And we call it Trimby's Road. There's a special road that's one way. Mike Trimby, of course, being the, the head of IRTA, International Race Teams Association. Trimby's a man that's organised everything he does and he organize, he's, you know, he's mega good. And basically... He organised this special road that went one way all the way into Termas, the town. And it was only if you got one sort of pass on. It wasn't for any fans or anything. It was for organisers. And not that Trimby needs it because basically he stays in the hotel that's right at the track. So this isn't for Mike, by the way. This this is for everyone else that needed to get back to hotels. Because it, the, the roads are absolutely rammed with people. It's, it's like a massive festival. You, you can't. It's like a, a pop concert turning out every single day. You know, you're trying to meander through people that are walking and got their push bikes and they've got their kids and everything. It's a nightmare to get back to your hotel if, if, if you didn't have this one. And the reason for mentioning this one thing is there's this massive hydro bloody electric dam. And you stop on, on Trimby's bloody road and you look at it and you think, wow. And it, and you then follow the river all the way into Termas. So it's so much, and there's like lots of parking places for a picnic on the way as well. So you can do all of this on Trimby's, Trimby's Avenue. You hate me calling it that. <laughs> but it was trimmers who sorted this out because no one could get back. Nobody could get back to their hotels in time after a long day. It was just all blocked. So we had this one-way system that took you in and then one way the other way back to the track uh, in the morning so you could get in on, on time because there were so many people <laughs> out there. I mean, you've sold it for me. I'm desperate to book a flight somewhere, so that sounds like the place to go, really. Um, now, Pete did say going to be a difficult one to call. It's time for your predictions please for this weekend i think this is gonna be a really difficult one based off i mean they're always difficult but at the moment there's one point on the board for keith uh, after last week who did you get that for you managed to say who was it it was i think you got quarterara on the podium so you got a point for that but in the wrong place but either way you got the podium so i'll give you the point but still zero for me and uh pete uh, or Pete and I, as I should say. Someone corrected me on that last time out. Thank you for that. Um, who wants to go first? Keith, you look like you're chomping at the bit there. Well, I'm just, I, I literally, I picked up the the, the good old um, rider's performance of 2019. I thought I'll have a, I'll print that out just to have a, a little quick look at it. And I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, 2019, last time we went there, Mark is the winner. Andrea De Vizioso, second place. Valentino Rossi, third place. I mean, what, you know, Alex Rins had a fourth. Mm. Danilo Petrucci, has gone bloody Dakar racing since then. He's fifth. Cal Crutchlow, Yamaha Tester now, sixth place. Nakagami, seventh. Miller only eighth after that. Uh, you know, where did he end up? He was fourth in the race. Um, must have been a year before 2018 when he had that bloody weird start, I would think then. I think Not so, 2019. Yeah. So yeah. forgive me for those of you that are listening that are now correct or were correcting me. I've finally corrected <laughs> myself. Vinales, you know. Quattararo, only 12th back in 2019. Back in the day. So what am I going to go with? <laughs> Miller. Miller. I'm going to have Miller as a winner. Okay. I'm going to go with Miller. Miller Rins Quattararo. Okay. <laughs> Miller Rins Quattararo. All right, Pete, go on. You're up next. I'm still thinking. <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you when you look back at the past winners, it's it's either been Honda or Yamaha, basically, isn't it? And it's been a good track for for Mark, obviously, but but we don't even even know if he's going to be there. So uh, I'll go with Quattararo. 
if there's a rough explanation other than a pure guess, it's that maybe these track conditions could be a bit like Mandalika, you know, a bit dirty, a bit dusty, and he seemed to cope with it all right there. So I, I think, yeah, I'll go with Pulv second. I keep backing this Honda, this new Honda, to put uh, a result in, so I'm going to continue with it. Uh, as I say, it has traditionally been a good track for Honda, but this is a very different Honda this year. Uh, third, Banyaya. Oh. I'm going to go with him to finally... You know, one point out of 50 so far, I think he was he was sounding really confident up until the rain um, in uh, Mandalika. So I think, and, and to be honest, he's got to, hasn't he? He's getting to the point now where if he's going to fight for this championship, he needs a result yeah. and a podium at, at the very least, I think. Yeah, it's critical times for Fembanyai at the moment. Um, he hasn't made my podium. I've gone for a, a Quattararo win as well, but then I, and I, I, I wanted Miller up on the podium. I wasn't sure where to put him, but because... Pete, uh, because Keith has put him as the winner, I'm putting him in second. And I've gone for the other Suzuki, Mir. I think he'll squeeze onto the podium in third. So that's my one, two, three. Um, so we'll see how that one pans out. I need to get we all we need to get some points on the boards, Pete. Um, let us know your predictions as well in the comments below uh, on Twitter or wherever you're listening to this. To always enjoy reading them. So far, I don't think anybody has got a complete podium yet, and it's just highlights how competitive this championship is you just cannot predict it week in week out but just a couple more days until we're ready for round three in argentina keith keith i was about to call you keith keith pete many thanks as (laughs) always uh make sure you're uh, tuned in across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week and then we shall be right back here as ever next week get your questions in leave them in the comments section or tweet instagram or facebook us just search crash moto gp leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well and uh, we'll be right back here to look back at argentina let's hope it's a good one Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.